And in the revelation that was given to John on that little island of Patmos, he gave us a little peek into what that was like. You may be seated. This is what John writes. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. What a glorious future we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Just wanted to say to Pastor Greg and his beautiful wife Vipka, thank you so much for this privilege of being in this church family. It's just an honor. And I have to say, I, most of them have gone by now, but I love your worship team. Aren't they phenomenal? Wow, what a gift. You know, I go some places where they've got like, a, you know, monkey playing a tambourine and that's about it. But this is, well, probably not that, but you know. Happy Mother's Day. Now I realize that that applies to some of you, but not completely to all of you, particularly the men. But um, there is an all-inclusive deal going on here. Hands up everybody who has had a mother. Yes, apart from that gentleman who's not quite sure. But um, welcome. Isn't it good to be in God's house on His day? Yeah, there's no place on earth I would rather be than with God's sons and daughters enjoying His presence. I've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks thinking about this particular Sunday and this unique privilege to minister here in this beautiful facility. And when I was asking the Lord, you know, Lord, what would you want to say to this group of people? I kept coming back to um, a passage that Paul wrote when he was writing to the church in Philippi. And you may remember, if you're very familiar with that letter, you know, we tend to think of it as the Bible, but it was just, Paul was sitting down and they were writing a letter because they did not have Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And he wrote this letter. Basically, he wanted the church in Philippi to know he was okay. Because they had heard that Paul was now in chains in Rome. And they were really worried. It would be like if you heard that a sister church somewhere in Michigan, that the pastor had been arrested and was now in prison, and you'd no way of finding out what was going on, you'd be really concerned. So at the beginning of the letter in Philippians 1, Paul is saying to them, listen, I want you to know this is a good thing. Even the palace guard, they know I'm here in chains because I love the Lord Jesus and I refuse to go walk away from his name. And he said, even the believers in Rome, they're actually being encouraged and built up because they see that even in the darkest hours, God uses everything, everything for good. He doesn't say everything is good. He doesn't say that everything feels good. But he reminds us in Romans that God has committed himself to bringing good out of situations that seem impossible. I know that in my own life. Let me just read these two verses from Philippians 3. This is verse 13 and 14. 
He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. When I was reading those, I love to read the whole letter, but when I'm back and just kind of parked in that verse, there were three words that stood out to me, forget, focus, and finish. Forgetting what lies behind. That can be tough sometimes. But I want to tell you why I'm honestly the least likely person to ever be standing on a platform. I started off in life as someone who that might have been possible for. I was very much a daddy's girl. Um, being born on the west coast of Scotland at that time, and by the way, um, this coming summer I will turn 60. I thought that was how old my mother was, but apparently she's moved on. But I have to tell you, as I trace back through my life, there's so many things that I would never have signed up for. But today I can stand here and tell you I would not change one single moment because of what they have taught me about the faithfulness of God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But I was born in a small fishing town on the west coast of Scotland to a mom and dad who didn't just go to church, they loved Jesus, which was very unusual. At that point, less than 2% of our population in Scotland even went to church. When I go back now, so many of the beautiful old churches have been turned into movie theaters or carpet warehouses. So to have a mom and dad who were fully engaged in the love and presence of Christ was a gift. And my dad was pretty much my hero. My sister's two years older than me, and she's kind of what every mother hopes for in a girl. You know, she's the kind that likes to wear all those dresses and ribbons and frilly things. I was not like that. I was very much a tomboy. So I just adored my dad. Tall, strong, godly man with a beautiful singing voice. And I remember one almost Christmas Eve saying to my dad, you know, if I could just have one more thing, my life would be complete. I had an older sister, I had a baby brother, I had a mom and dad who loved us well, but I just wanted a dog. How many dog people do we have in here? God bless you, the Lord is in this place. How many cat people? Oh, <laughs> no, I love cats too, I love cats. But I just wanted a dog, and I said, Mom, could I, Dad, could I just have a dog, even if it's a wee one, even a three-legged dog, anything? And he said, well, leave it to me, we'll see. I don't know, your mom's got a lot in her hands, but..." My dad came in one night, my sister and I are in bed, and he was holding behind his back something. He said, it's alive and it's an early Christmas present. And what he produced was this little wiener dog, a little dachshund called Heidi. Have you ever had a moment where you just think, this is as good as life is gonna get? I don't know how many of you are fans of that movie, um, The Wizard of Oz. Remember The Wizard of Oz? I love that movie. And I, I particularly was moved, the first time I saw it, my mom took my sister and I to Edinburgh to see it. That was the only city in Scotland that it was being shown in. And when the movie started, I thought, well, this is boring. It's not even in color. Because the first part, you know, is just in those kind of drab colors. And there's Dorothy standing out there. And you'll remember, you remember her big number? Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. There's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Somewhere 
that you dare to dream really do come true. Well, Dorothy might have been longing for a rainbow. She had no idea that was, what was heading right for her was a tornado. Have you ever been there? Life's going just great. Couldn't be any better. And then suddenly with no warning, something just hits your life. And it'll never be the same again. Tornadoes decimate the landscape. Nothing ever looks the way it did before. So we go to bed one night and life is perfect. But by the next morning, my father was in intensive care and not expected to survive. He'd had a massive brain aneurysm. After a few weeks, my dad came home, but he was now paralyzed down the left side and never was able to put a word together again. He could make noises, but, but I thought, I'm going to help my dad. But the blood clot in his brain moved and began to impact an area that affected his personality. And from being this loving, funny, strong, wonderful dad, my father became a confused, angry, and ultimately violent stranger. And the thing that was strange to me, I couldn't understand, was until the very last day, the only person he took his anger out on was me. And I thought out of the three children, I was the closest to my dad. And it's only recently, a friend of mine who's a neurologist has explained that sometimes when there's an extreme brain injury, the person instinctively hits out at the one person they believe will love them no matter what. But you don't understand that when you're five. I would walk past his chair and he would spit in my face or he'd grab hold of my hair and pull a handful of my hair out. And I just thought, what am I doing wrong? I need to try harder. But the very last day I saw my father alive, I turned in time to see that he was gonna bring his cane down on my skull. And I pushed the cane away and he hit the ground hard and just lay there roaring like an animal. My mom had been in the kitchen and when she saw what was happening, she took my sister, my brother and I and she locked us in a room while she dialed It'd be 999 in Scotland, but 911 here. It took four men to carry my dad out of the house that day, and he was taken off to what was called our local asylum. Be like a psych ward these days. And because he was violent, they put him in the maximum security ward. But all the men in there were in their 70s and 80s and had no touch with reality. My dad was 34. So my mom asked the doctor, could you perhaps put Frank in a unit with some younger men? but it was a less secure unit. And that first night, my dad escaped. And they searched for him through the night and they found him just as dawn was breaking. He had drowned himself in the river behind the hospital and his body was caught in the salmon nets. And in those days, you did not take children in Scotland to a funeral or to a graveside. All I remember about that day is my mom coming home in a black dress with a black hat on and for reasons that I couldn't understand, she took every single photograph of my father off the walls, off the tables, out of our bedrooms, and she put them in a little suitcase, which she locked, and she pushed it under her bed, and we never mentioned his name again. I think, I think we know so much more these days about how to help children process grief. I honestly believe my mom thought, if Sheila wants to talk, she'll talk, but I don't want to bring up bad memories. She had no way of knowing the conversation that was going on inside my head because there was no one left on this earth who could answer the question I needed an answer to. What did my dad see in me that made him hate me so much? See, children are the best recorders of information. You can think they're not listening, but they're not missing anything. But they're the poorest interpreters of that information. 
Children always think it's something they did. When I was 11 years old, my mom took me to hear Scotland's only gospel group, the Heralds. And the guy at the end said, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. And I realized I got to choose for myself. So that night I gave my life to Christ and my mom said, not only is Christ living in your life, you have a heavenly father who's watching over you. That'd be good news to most people. But what I heard was, wow, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my dad saw in me, God's never gonna see. I'm gonna be the perfect Christian if it kills me. And I almost did. I tried so hard to get it all right, to never disappoint God. I often think, and sometimes I get an opportunity at the end of a service or of a, an event to hear a little of your stories because we all have them. Moments that have marked our life in one way or another. I was speaking at an event in California a couple of years ago and a gentleman came up at the end and I knew who he was. I'd seen him from Time Magazine. He's a very successful businessman. And he said to me, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with who I am. And I said, oh, yes, sir, absolutely. And he said, you know, if you ask anybody around me, they think I'm one of the most successful men in America. And he said, but I want you to know I lay my head down in the pillow every night and all I hear is my mother's voice saying, I wish you'd never been born. Having one more child ruined my health. He'd done everything he could to erase that noise, but it wouldn't go away. I call that a deep sense of shame. And here's how I differentiate between guilt and shame. I think guilt tells us we've done something wrong, but shame, shame tells us that we are something wrong. And what do you do with that? We're pretty resilient. We find ways to go on. We find ways to cope. We find a mask to wear to make it possible to appear in public and look okay. They're different, but they serve the same purpose. Sometimes we use food, too much or too little. Sometimes it could be alcohol or drugs, prescription medications. For some, it's spending. You know, if I, if I look better on the outside, I'll feel better on the inside. I found the perfect place to hide. Christian ministry. I mean, think about it. Who's going to come up to you and say, put that Bible down or we're going to have an intervention? It's not going to happen, is it? But God's the only one who knows whether we're serving him out of pain or passion, out of a calling or a wound so deep we just don't know where else to hide and find any worth. I went to seminary in London when I was 18, then I worked with the BBC for a few years and I came to America and worked with Dr. Billy Graham. And then for five years I was the co-host of a program called The 700 Club with Dr. Pat Robertson. But here's the truth, inside I was still the same scared little girl who wouldn't let anybody get close to her in case you saw what my father saw. You know, it's possible to be very well known and desperately lonely. Our Redeemer, I'm overwhelmed. I, I never have words to express how glorious this relationship we have is in Christ. See, I used to think, you know, Lord, if you know that he struggles with anxiety and she struggles with that. Why don't you just take it away? But God has a far greater plan. Sometimes he'll take us to the very place that we're afraid of to show us there is no darkness too dark that his light cannot penetrate. There is no hole too deep that he cannot reach in and pull you free. When I was a young girl, 
in Scotland, we had a thing called Junior Christian Endeavor. And I used to go every Thursday night and learn all these scriptures. And one of my favorites was from the book of Romans. I love the book of Romans. It's such a perfect theology, particularly Romans 8. I mean, think of this as the deal for us. It begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. It doesn't get much better than that. But the Lord was about to show me in a really dramatic way that I knew the words, but I didn't understand the truth. Here were the verses I loved. This is Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I am convinced. And the word Paul uses here in the Greek for convinced is the word you would use if you're presenting an argument to the Supreme Court. It is irrefutable. We have all the evidence we need. I am convinced that, neither, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I could recite that, but I didn't understand it. God in his mercy allowed my biggest fear to happen. See, I was afraid that whatever was in my dad was in me. People would say to me when I was growing up, you know, Sheila, you're just like your dad. And I think what they meant was you sing like your dad or you tell tragically bad jokes like your father. What I heard was, there's a crack in your soul like your father. No matter how fast you run, how hard you work, one of these days, it's going to catch up with you. And it did, unfortunately, on live national television. Sitting there one morning, asked my guest my first question, and she doesn't answer. Instead, she asks me a question. She said, Sheila, you sit here every day and ask us how we're doing. How are you doing? And she meant it kindly. But I wasn't expecting it. And I didn't have time to pull up my wall. And I did something I hadn't done in years. I started to cry. I think I used to think if I start crying, I'll never stop. And I was right. Nobody in the studio knew what to do. My guests didn't know what to do. Eventually, the director threw to a commercial break and I took off my microphone and I left the studio and I locked myself in my dressing room. And as far as I was concerned, my life was over. I called a good friend of mine, a guy called Dr. Henry Cloud. And I said, Henry, I think I'm losing my mind. And he said, you're not, but you need help and you need it quickly. So I went from that morning, co-host of the 700 Club, and by that evening, I'm in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital and I'm the same age as my dad. But you know what I found out? Sometimes God will take you to prison to set you free. He loves you that fiercely. It's not a gentle thing, it's a glorious thing. I remember the first morning having to sit opposite the psychiatrist who was asking me some questions and his first question was, who are you? And I thought, this is a trick question. I can see my name on a sheet. And let me just give you a little piece of insider information about a psych ward, which I hope you'll never need, but one never knows. In a psych hospital, they only serve decaf coffee. If there was ever a moment in your life where you need a decent cup of coffee, that would be it. But no, we don't want to get the loonies restless. So <laughs> I'm sitting opposite this guy, and he says, who are you? And I said, Sheila Walsh. He said, no, Sheila. I know your name. Who are you? 
I'm co-host of the 700 Club. He said, no, I didn't ask you what you do. Who are you? I said, I have no idea. And he said, I know that and that's why you're here. After about three weeks of being there, diagnosed with severe clinical depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, I was told I could have a pass to go to either a movie or the mall just to get used to being outside the walls of the hospital. And I said, I don't want to do that, but could I just go to church? And I don't care which denomination, if it's a Bible-believing church. So that Sunday, I went with a young nurse and I sat in the very back row, hoping nobody would see me. And the pastor said at the end of his message, he says, some of you in here feel as if you're dead inside. You can almost hear them begin to heap the earth on top of your casket. And he said, but I want you to know one thing. Jesus is here. And you don't have to even get yourself out of that hole. You simply have to call on his name and he will reach it and he will grab hold of you and pull you free. I had no idea what the protocol in that church was. But at the end of that service, I ran to the front and I lay face down in front of the cross. And the words of an old hymn that my grandmother used to sing to me when I was just a wee girl came back. The hymn is rock of ages, but it was these two lines that just pulled back the curtain. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And I finally got it. I'm not the good news. Jesus is. It's never been about me getting it right. It's always been about him who makes us right. When I left the hospital after a month, I was crossing the parking lot and my doctor called out the window, Sheila, who are you? I turned around, I said, I am Sheila Walsh, daughter of the King of Kings. That's our identity. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. That's who you are. It's not enough to be Barry's wife and Christian's mom or a third grade teacher or a banker because all of those can be gone in a moment. Who you are, when you're in relationship with him as a daughter of the King of Kings, a son of God most high and nobody can touch that. We have one son who's just the love of our lives. I love being a mom. I had no idea. When I got pregnant, I was 40 years old and I got pregnant and I thought, well, I'll be a good mom because I'll choose to be, but I've never been the one that wanted to hold everybody else's babies. My thought was, you had it, you hold it. I've got a dog, you know, I'm good. But the minute that child opened his eyes for the first time, my heart was gone forever. When he was 10 years old, it was a really cold day in Dallas and we just finished lunch and Christian asked me if I would make him a thermos flask of hot chocolate. And I said, of course, darling, are you going outside to play? And he said, no, mom, today I'm running away from home. I said, wow, that's huge news. Thanks for telling me. I said, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Did dad or I do something to hurt your feelings? He said, no, mom, it's nothing like that. But think about it. There's dad, there's you, there's the dogs. Nothing happens here. If I don't go now, I will never have stories to tell. I said, that's an excellent point. I said, do you mind me asking where you're going? And he said, north, I believe I'll head north. And I said, what are you gonna do for money? He said, oh, don't worry, mom, I intend to return home on weekends. 
So that was a huge relief, clearly. So I handed him his flask of hot chocolate and he put it in his backpack with the dog's blanket, his soccer ball, a book. He just crammed as much as he could. And then he said, well, goodbye, mom. And I'm like, bye, traveling mercies, do stay in touch. And I ran upstairs to the balcony where I could keep an eye on where he was going. And he walked all the way around the lake where we live and eventually he sat down near a tree where he and his friends sometimes fish. He opened the backpack and spread out the dog's blanket, sat down, poured himself some hot chocolate and I guess began contemplating life in the north. <laughs> and I thought, now what do I do when he moves on from here? And I thought, well, I'll take the dogs for a walk and I'll try and stay as far back as I can. And if he sees me, I'll just say, I am so sorry, I had no idea this was north. Directionally challenged mother. But I've, I realized eventually he was actually coming home. So I ran back downstairs and he came through the back door and just kind of muttering under his breath, good times, good times. <laughs> He's a strange child. He's very like his father. <laughs> but that night I said to him, Christian, do you mind me asking, did you enjoy your adventure today? And he said, I did mom, but I think I'd have liked it more if my bag wasn't so heavy. For hours that night, I thought about that. I thought about the baggage that we carry through our lives. The things that have been spoken over us. You'll never be anything. I should never have had you. School nurse said to my mom, you'll have to accept the fact that Sheila is just damaged. She'll always have to stay close to home. But when I was asleep at night, my mom would come and lay her hands on my head and say, Lord, for this one, this least likely, I give her to you. Never underestimate the power of a mother's prayers. So let me ask you, what would it have looked like if this morning when you walked through these doors, all your baggage became visible? I don't mean your pillow or your snacks, I mean your stuff. The stuff that you don't know what to do with, so you just push it down into the cellar of your soul. Anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, disappointment, the abortion, the affair, the drugs, the alcohol, whatever you consider your trash, your junk that makes you not so qualified for this ridiculous love of God. What would it look like if the minute you walked through these doors, it became visible and you had to drag it to your seat. You might be horrified by how much stuff you're dragging through your life. You might be saddened to realize how long you've carried it. But here's my question to you on this Mother's Day 2016. If you saw it, would you want to take it home? Or would you want to take Christ up on this glorious offer of this divine exchange where he says to you and me, this is Matthew 11, the last two verses, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to carry your stuff any longer. Psalm 46 verse 10 says this, be still and know that I am God. I love to dig a little deeper and find, well, what does that really mean? Like if I'd been sitting beside David on a hillside, what would I have heard? 
from that psalm. You know, the Hebrew for be still means to release, to let go. Sounds a little different, doesn't it? Let go and know that I am God. I don't care how bad you think you've been or how good you think you've been. We're all invited to come the same way. And for those of you who think I'll never be what I might have been, the thing I love about the fact that you're in the middle of a series called Stronger is our strength comes at the moment we realize how weak we really are, how little we really do bring to the table. And then we rest in the strength of the Lord and we rise up in his name. I've had the privilege the last 20 years of traveling with women of faith, we've seen more than 5 million women walk through our doors. But the last two years, I've had the privilege of going to, to Australia, to Russia, to the Ukraine, all across Europe. And I have to tell you, God is raising up a ragtag army of believers who are finally done listening to the enemies, no, not you, not you, over their lives, and have become convinced of God's yes, yes you. Wouldn't it be amazing if we made a note in our calendar, in our diary, or on our iPhone on this day? This was the day when I laid all my baggage down and rose up as God's son, as God's daughter, perfectly loved. You've never lived an unloved moment in your life. One of my friends asked me, what would it look like when you came in this morning, Sheila, if instead of on the screen behind you, we saw the worship lyrics of the band, instead, we've made a movie of your life. Let me ask you the question, what would that feel like this morning? You come in and we say, hey, great news. We've made a movie of your life and it's a director's cut, nothing left out. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, the things you think, well, it's not really sin, I just thought about it, but I didn't really do it. And it was all up there on the screen for everybody to see. How would you feel? Here's the radical truth of the gospel. God has seen your movie and he loves you. There's nothing about you God doesn't know and he's crazy about you. And when you get that, it changes everything. When you've been soaked to the skin in the grace of God, then you become those who minister that to other people. You have a story that nobody else has. God told me some time ago, run in your own lane. Run in your own lane. Don't compare yourself to what she's doing over here, what he's doing over there. You have a unique story. And if we're gonna finish this race well, we all need to run in our own lane and bring all of who we are. Don't be afraid of being known. It's hard to be transparent, I know. And you have to be careful. I mean, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine, meaning don't take what's precious to you and give it to people who are just gonna trample on it. But be wise and be open to become a beacon of hope and light in this world. We're gonna see some crazy things happen in the next few months. And we need to live as those who can give an answer for the hope that rests in us. I'm gonna close with a song and I wanna invite the worship team back to join me. But before we do that, 
I just want to take a moment and ask you all if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, because today I want to see this massive cleanup in Jesus' name. That for those of you who've dragged your bags through your life and are finally done with it, that you would say today, Lord, I'm going to lay this stuff down and I will not pick it up again. We have arranged for spiritual cleanup crews. Don't allow the enemy to torment you. When Christ died on the cross, his last words, remember, it is finished. Not, well, that was a good start, now over to you. No, it's done, forgiven, free. And if you don't know this Jesus, even in this moment, you can say, yes, Lord. He hears your heart. But I just wanna say a quick prayer for those of you who are ready to drop your baggage today. If that is you, would you just stand where you are? Everyone else has their heads bowed, their eyes closed. Would you just stand as a signal to God to say, I'm drawing a line in the sand today, no further. Today, I'm laying this down in your name. I want to include you in this prayer. So just stand where you are. God, you see your sons and daughters here. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace and your love and your mercy. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us this offer to lay our stuff at the foot of the cross and only take up what you have designed us to carry. So right now, by faith, we do that. We drop our baggage and we rise up as your sons and daughters those ready to take your hope to a world that is hopeless, your light to a world that's getting increasingly dark, your joy to a world that's full of hatred, your peace to turmoil. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. I remember the first time I heard this song, I was at Hillsong Conference in London. And they were introducing it to the audience for the very first time. And the more I listened, I thought, this is my story. I think the lyrics may be on the screen as we get further along with the chorus. If you want to join in, you're welcome. But we can say, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can say, I will rise. This is my revelation Christ Jesus crucified Salvation through repentance At the cross on which He
forever Your kingdom knows no end Your praise goes on forever And on and on again No power can stand against you No curse assaults your Thank you, Sheila. Let's show our appreciation for Sheila Walsh one more time. Thank you. Thank you all uh, so much for being here. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing, but I'm, as I'm sitting listening to that, I, I heard Sheila say no one would sign up for that. And Sheila, I'm sure that that's true. But as you said, sometimes God leads us into a prison not only to free us, but to free many other people. And I'm sure that as in the past, so too in the future, and we will continue to pray for a continued anointing on you as you share what God has done to turn your pain into a real diamond and uh, bring a lot of other people into freedom. So God bless you, uh, Christian, as he continues to pursue his path, I think, into medical missionary, you said. So we'll continue to pray for him, for hope through you and Barry, healing through him to be brought to people across the world. Once again, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here. It really was a privilege for us. As you leave this place, go with that 
redeeming truth in your heart that no matter what pain you experience, you have a God who delights in bringing you hope and healing. Go in that truth and be that truth. And as you celebrate as the people of God today, celebrate the fact that He has redeemed you and He loves you. Go in grace, go in peace, and we'll see you all again for what will be a great weekend next week with Kevin Myers. So we'll see you all next week. Have a great week and happy Mother's Day to you all. God bless.